Forgiveness is a big one. And whether that adversity is self-inflicted, life, mother nature, circumstances happened, or someone did something to you, forgiveness is a big part because forgiveness really isn't about the other person, it's about yourself. And it's about opening your heart and changing your perspective. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an incredible inspirational guest to come on our show and share with you his story today. Scott Kujak is the host of the Underdog Podcast, and he is the author of Underdog, True Stories of Overcoming Adversity, which we're definitely going to jump into. He began his podcast after he witnessed his best friend from college battle stage four colon cancers. And now he interviews people who've overcome tremendous odds from famous athletes to amputee war veterans. He speaks to organizations, corporations, churches, and at events of all ages, inspiring those who fight against adversity one punch at a time. He graduated from TCU, that's Texas Christian University, in 2015 and was a member of the Horned Frogs football team, currently residing in Austin, Texas, and two-time defending Golden Glove Super Heavyweight Boxing Champion of Austin. We're definitely going to have to talk about that, but he hopes to inspire you to take that hard blow of adversity on the chin and fight like Phil. Scott, welcome to the show. Great intro. Thank you, Dr. Schuster. It's a pleasure to be here. So, there are so many things that we could talk about, and I know that you were inspired to do all the work you're doing in the world today because of your friend Phil and his battle with cancer. So talk to us about that story. I want to start there because I know how powerful it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is definitely the most monumental, life-changing story I've ever experienced. I met Phil at Texas Christian University. I played quarterback and he played wide receiver. Naturally, we had quite the bond, whether it was throwing extra passing routes outside of practice, hitting the weight room, the weight room to lift extra weights. No matter what it was, we were together. And then that carried over into normal college life in the dorms, going to college parties, joining extra organizational, extracurricular activities. And everybody loved Phil. He was an incredible guy, the most selfless, kind, gentle human being on campus at any given point of time. Just after graduation, our whole lives, to look forward to, we ended up going through the worst times of our situation or the worst times of our lives. Phil was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, and I was going through a relationship that ended abruptly and quickly that I didn't expect for it to end. So we both had this tremendous amount of adversity that we faced, and we didn't know how to handle it at first. I often resorted to doubt, hopelessness, anger, frustration, depression, you name it. I probably had it. And Phil instead responded to the diagnosis of stage three colon cancer with hope 
and saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know why I have cancer, but I believe something good will come out of this one way or the other. And that's kind of what kickstarted our journey together in that area is because he was really a role model and an inspiration to me on how I could respond to adversity, even when life doesn't make sense. And that was the formation of the whole underdog podcast, the whole underdog brand was because Phil was an underdog when he faced cancer at 23 years old, but he decided to fight it the best way he could. So what what happened next to Phil? So Phil went on to fight cancer for two years. He had multiple surgeries, multiple rounds of chemo. And unfortunately, he passed away in September of 2018. Um, But his story and his legacy lives on. In fact, there was a foundation formed in his honor. That's the 9474 Foundation. The reason for the name is because he lived 9,474 days on earth. Wow. And that organization is built to help young adults with cancer. There's a lot of organizations out there that help pediatric patients or help the elderly. But if you think about it, kids that are just graduating from college... They don't have money saved up. They're start trying to start their career. So that 22 to 25, 26 population age, it's really difficult for them to have the money to pay for the expenses that come with cancer or for insurance, etc. And this foundation is set up to help those people specifically. What a, what a beautiful thing to arise from something that is so tragic. And I know that that obviously impacted you. And and as we said, that was the inspiration for you doing the work that you're doing. So talk to us about Underdog and share with us some of these powerful stories. And and then I want to get into some of the lessons that you've learned that people listening to this can take from that. Underdog was born from Phil Taylor. I was so inspired by how he decided to respond to cancer. If he was throwing up the night before, if he had acne burst out all over his face from the drugs he was taking. If he had surgery and the very next day, he found out that his spleen and his gallbladder were removed because of the cancer. No matter what it was, he responded with positivity, optimism, and hope and faith in a greater thing at work. So I started Underdog because I said, you know what? I can't necessarily relate to my friend having cancer. I've never had it. But I can relate to those feelings of hopelessness and despair that I know he experiences, even if he only expresses it to himself when he's by himself. So what I wanted to do is capture his story in depth in a 30 to 60 minute interview and really ask him some tough questions about faith, about emotions, about the physical adversity he's overcome, the pain he's overcome. And then from there, I said, okay, people will be inspired by Phil but why don't I continue to interview people who have overcome a whole spectrum of different life circumstances so that we continue to find ways to relate to one another and then we can find ways of how that person gained a higher perspective and learned something new because of it. And I think that's what inspiration boils down to is that we can't necessarily choose the adversity we face in our life, but we can choose how we respond to it. And that's what I try to pull out of my guests, whether it's in my book or on the podcast itself or in speaking engagements that I'm doing is I try to bridge that gap between where they were and how awful it was 
to who they have become today and why they're so thankful for the things that they've learned. I love that. And I, and I love that you initially wanted to interview Phil to get his perspective and keep that legacy alive of what he was doing, but you continued it. So before we get into some of the interviews you've had with other guests, take us through some of the high points of your conversation with Phil. Ooh, some of the high points. That's a good question. I think one of the most remarkable things that I had with him in that first interview is he was preparing for what's called a hot liquid chemo wash. What that means is they they cut open his abdomen, they pour hot liquid chemo in his abdominal cavity, swish it around to try to get to every crack and crevice to kill all the cancerous cells. And in that procedure, there's a possibility that if they see a lot of tumor growth on certain organs, they would remove those organs. And I asked Phil leading up to that surgery, hey, you're about to have the craziest surgery that you could ever imagine. And you may lose some organs. What do you think about that? And his response was, and you're going to love this because we just were talking about football before we hit recording. He said, did you know that Jason Witten lost his spleen? And he went on to be an NFL Hall of Famer. and He's fine. He said, if I have to lose a spleen or lose another organ, I can go on and live life and just be fine. So if that's what's required to beat cancer, I'm willing to do it. I just want to beat cancer. And I was shocked because how do you respond? The maturity level he had at 23, 24 years old, most people in that predicament would not respond that way. That's amazing. And you're exactly right. Many people, particularly younger people, would turn negative, turn inward, turn depressed. But it sounds like his position, his perspective was well beyond his years from a maturity standpoint. What were, what were some of the other big lessons you learned in your interview with Phil? Well, if I could pivot a little bit, if I could share maybe one of the stories I had with him when he was on his deathbed that was really inspirational and life-changing to me. Would that be okay? Sure. So on his deathbed, he had 24 hours left to live. I drove up to Dallas to go see him. He was a frail skeleton. Body was deteriorating. Not in very good shape. The drugs he was taking was causing him to be out of consciousness a lot so that he was pain-free or as pain-free as possible. It was very hard for him to breathe. Every time he breathed in, his chest would come out. And then when he exhaled, his chest would visibly come back in. Every 30 30 seconds or 60 seconds or so, he would wake up and he could talk with us, but his voice was really scratchy. It was hard to understand him. In one of the moments, we had a a circle of family and friends around him. We all had our hands on him and we were praying the Our Father prayer. And whether people listening to this or not, if you're religious or not, you probably have heard some form or fashion of the Our Father prayer at some point. And he sat up halfway through when he was out of consciousness, woke up, sat up, and with all of his strength and might, recited the last couple of sentences of that prayer and then dozed back off to sleep. And I think that moment defined him better than any moment possible because he knew he was on his deathbed at 25 years old. He knew what he experienced the past two years of pain and depression and frustration and doubt. And yet he still had greater faith in something greater. And he wanted to be a light to all of the people who had our hands on him at that moment to show us that he wanted to be faithful to the end and that he would be okay and that we could go on 
and live our lives in peace and confidence and trust that Phil would be okay. And that just blew my mind. Really powerful, obviously. At that point, had you already started interviewing other people? Did he know that you were going to carry that forward and start interviewing other people who were overcoming tremendous adversity? Yes. So I interviewed Phil in late 2017 and I launched the podcast in late 2017. Okay. And what I try to do is I try to have an episode a week. So I'm trying to have a new guest every week. So at that time, Phil had maybe, there's maybe uh, 50 episodes or so that had been published. And then when Phil passed away in September 2018, I was actually halfway through writing my book where Phil is the last chapter, the last story I share um, in that book. And once he passed, that I really kicked it into high gear that I need to get this book out there and honor my friend. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about the book and some of the most powerful things that you gleaned from interviewing your people in the book. Yeah. So um, Phil's the last chapter. And what I did is I took 10 stories from the first 40 episodes of the podcast and wrote a brief chapter on each story. It's 150 pages. So it's a short read and you get a chance to see a huge amount of different types of adversity that people have faced and how they've overcome it. Every single person has overcome whatever they went through in a different way and they've learned something different. So there's a ton of wise perspectives. So I interviewed the first female to lose her leg to amputation and return to the Air Force as a pilot, the first woman to return to the cockpit for the Air Force. I interviewed Chris Singleton, which some of you may be um, aware of. He, he lost his mother to the tragedy that was the Charleston church shootings um, with Dylan Roof. And he stood up the very next day after Dylan Roof murdered his mother in racial violence and racial hate and said, I forgive you, Dylan Roof. I've got nothing but love for you. And he went on to play in the major leagues for the Chicago Cubs organization and now as a professional speaker. He's one of the stories in the book. And then another really cool story is um, I interviewed a man named Michael Morton who spent 25 years in prison for murdering his wife. Or that's what the public thought. And after 25 years, they found evidence that proved he was innocent and he was exonerated. So he wasted 25 years of his life in prison for something he did not do. And he talks about how his mindset shifted during his time in prison, what he learned, and why he's thankful for the life he has today, even in the midst of of adversity. So those are just three of the stories that are in the book. There's a lot more. Um, and it's, it's really, really a lot of impactful stories that a lot of people have thanked me for, whoever has read the book. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. All three of those, I, I could easily 
dive deep into all of them because they're all so intriguing. But the last one you shared, the, the gentleman who was falsely accused of murdering his wife, can we take a deeper dive into that one? Sure. So take us through that because obviously he was professing he was innocent for a quarter of a century. What, what was the evidence that, that came forth? And then talk to us about his mindset, attitude, and things you learned from him. That's a long story. There was a prosecution team and the sheriff team when this all first happened that was against him from the get-go. They were in this um, seeking political power. They were seeking to move up the ranks. And it was the easy thing to do was to press charges against him since he was the husband and convict him. What they did is they had evidence that was clearly in favor of Michael that they withheld from the trial. 25 years later, when Michael filed time and time and time again with the Innocence Project, which I'm sure you're aware of, and when they finally, the Innocence Project finally took his case, they dug into the details and found out that some of this evidence was withheld from trial, that evidence that would set Michael free. So they went through this huge long process with the county and with all of those things. And eventually they got the evidence. They did a DNA test and found that Michael was innocent. What I learned from him was a story of forgiveness. He spent 25 years of his life in prison. None of us would ever wish that on ourselves, on our friends, on our family, and honestly, maybe even on our enemies for something they didn't do. He did not do anything wrong. And he was very, very bitter. His son was taken from him. He couldn't see his son. His wife was murdered. And everyone in the world thought he did it. And he knew he didn't do it. He loved his wife. So five, six, seven, eight years into prison, he grew more and more bitter and planned more and more revenge. In fact, he had a list, a hit list of all the people who put him in prison the day that he got out. If he ever got out, he was going to seek revenge and he was going to punish them. Well, over time, he realized how wrong he was and that he needed to forgive them. So he actually said out loud, I forgive X, I forgive Y, and worked down his list, his hit list of people. And he said when he did that, this huge burden and this monkey that he was carrying of this revenge and frustration, anger, it just wiped away. He said, now, prison didn't get any easier. The doors of prison didn't open. The next day, I spent another 12, 13 years in prison but I was a changed man from that point. And I just continued to pray and hope and believe that I would get out of prison one day and be reconciled with my son and I would make things right. And today I'm happy to say that he has done that. He speaks all over the nation. He's actually been involved with some of the um, Texas state laws here in Texas in terms of changing um, how evidence is held in cases and things like that. So he's making a huge impact even in the midst of this adversity. That's amazing. And I, I know that you've had the opportunity to interview so many people who've overcome tremendous adversity. I wonder if you would be able to share with us some of the common themes or strategies people that you interviewed have used to, to do that. Obviously, you just hit on a big one, which was forgiveness. And that was able to shift his mindset uh, from wanting to kill people towards totally having a different perspective and, and a more positive one. So take us through some of the commonalities that you've seen either in traits or, or stories 
of people that overcome tremendous obstacles. Forgiveness is a big one. And whether that adversity is self-inflicted, life, mother nature, circumstances happened, or someone did something to you, forgiveness is a big part because forgiveness really isn't about the other person. It's about yourself. And it's about opening your heart and changing your perspective. That's a big one. Another big one is how people deal with it. The things that people have overcome are just absolutely undescribable at times. Um, and a lot of times what people will do is that I can't... People will say is that I couldn't in the moment think about the next five years, think about the next 10 years of how I would overcome this. It would overwhelm me. It would stress me out. Instead, what I did is I decided to look at it moment by moment, day by day, week by week, whatever it was it took. In fact, you and I know we have a friend named Carolyn Bostrick. She's one of the people in the book. She talks about taking life five minutes at a time, doing life in five-minute segments. I think that was really, really impactful to help people get through the mud. And then finally, one of the last things that was a reoccurring theme was, what is your motivation? Who is your motivation? Is your motivation to get back up on your feet and accomplish something crazy? Or is your motivation a person? The first chapter of my book is with Carol Decker. She was pregnant with her second child, was rushed to the emergency room, had an emergency C-section to save her baby. Thankfully, that baby was born healthy and without any complications. But she had a terrible infection that caused her to go permanently blind and lose three of her limbs in the coming weeks to amputations. How do you respond to that? It took her a long time after a lot of surgeries and therapy to shift her mindset her motivation became her daughters and her family. She said, I feel like I'm never, going to be, I'm never going to be able to do anything again. I lost three of my limbs and I'm blind. How do, I, how do I relearn how to do things? But over time, her daughters became that driving force. And she relearned how to bake cookies with her daughters. She relearned actually how to return to the mountain and sit on a sit ski with her family and ski down the slopes. She really learned how to do a lot of things because she wanted to embrace every single moment with her daughters that she could and be the best mother that she could be possible. So for her, it was finding that purpose, which was her daughter. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious. I know this journey for you in a lot of ways began after your time at TCU. But talk to us about the adversity you had to overcome during your playing days at TCU. Would love to. TCU was a great school. Go Frogs. Um, we might be a smaller student population compared to some of the big schools out there, but we have just as much school pride and we love the city of Fort Worth and we love that campus. I would say the adversity I faced in college was nothing compared to the guests I interviewed today, but it's probably a bit more relatable. People that are in college right now obviously are trying to find themselves, they're trying to balance a lot. In college, I was part of a Division One football team. I was a pre-med biology major, which is, as you know, very difficult. And then I also usually held two to three jobs at a time. So trying to balance all of those things between a 40-hour work week, at least at minimum, with a Division One football team, keeping up with my academics in a very tough major, and then trying to earn some income to provide for myself throughout college since I didn't have other assistants. Um, from family members or friends or anything like that was a lot. And I think that 
prepared me to be able to balance my career today, my entrepreneur pursuits, the podcast, the book, other things I have going on in my life, because I was able to understand or was able to learn how to prioritize. I want to do a lot with my life and I want to accomplish a lot. But depending on the day, depending on the year, certain things come first. And if that means one of my missions, one of my goals has to be bumped down for a later date, then so be it. So that's kind of the adversity I faced in college was just learning how to balance all of those stressors and be successful at at every single one. I didn't want to be this great division one athlete, but have a 1.7 GPA. So I I had to find a way to balance both. And and now that you're doing what you're doing, talk to us about some of the other ways that you're making an impact in the world beside the podcast. For sure. Boxing is one of them. Um, We were going to get there. We were going to get there for (laughs) sure. So so talk to us about that. Let's start there. Yep. So I am the two-time Golden Gloves Super Heavyweight Boxing Champion of Austin. What does that mean? That means I fight in the 201 pounds plus division. Anyone that's over 201 pounds, I fight. So 250, 350, it doesn't matter. I'll fight them. And that has really done a lot for me in my life, not just from a stress relief and athletically, it's things like that, but also from a metaphorical standpoint. So I witnessed Phil go through, through this fight. I had my own fight to fight. And for me, stepping in the ring is a demonstration to others that I'm willing to fight for the things that I believe in. So I've tried to use boxing in a way that inspires others. And that actually is part of my speaking engagements today. I actually put a, a heavy bag up on stage and I hit it at different times during my speech to make a point so that the point is clear and concise. Another thing that I'm trying to do is really plug myself into the community. So there's a mentorship program here on the east side of Austin that I've done the last few years. We meet once a week with middle school and high school students. And then after that, we're paired one-on-one with a kid that you're supposed to really develop an intimate relationship with. And the kid that I've mentored graduated a senior from high school this year. He grew up in an Afri- African refugee camp, came over here in middle school, never played a day of basketball in his life, but really wanted to play basketball in high school. He got better and better and better. And he actually earned a scholarship to play basketball in college this summer. And he'll be the first person in his family to go to college and hopefully the first person to graduate. So that's pretty cool. And then another way that I'm involved here in Austin is through Big Love Cancer Care, which provides much needed assistance and items and support to the cancer patients at the Children's Hospital here and their families. A lot of times when kids have cancer, it's awful and a ton of money gets poured into research, which it should be. But people often forget that these families need assistance in other areas too, or they have other kids and they don't have time to go to the grocery store and get toothpaste and get gas cards and get food and get pajamas. Well, this organization helps fill that need in those areas. They'll We bring by once a week supplies for toothpaste, for crackers, for video games, for pajamas, whatever the kids need and their families, we try to provide those things. So those are two organizations I'm involved in here um, in Austin, always looking to plug myself in other areas, but they have given me a lot of purpose and a lot of meaning in my life. I love that. And I I know that you're doing quite a lot locally within Austin, Texas, but that because of the podcast and the book that you're helping people all over the world, which is incredible. 
Thank you. So I would love to talk to you more and hear more of these stories, but we are at time. And as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guest a single question. That is, what is your biggest help in Scott? The single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? I would say the number one thing I hope that every single person walks away from after this interview is that above anything else, most important thing in life to be successful is to love others with every single thing that you have in your body. It's not enough to make a ton of money. It's not enough to be there for a friend in times of need, but you have to be there for everybody, whether they want it or not, they like you or not, you like them or not. If you show love to other people, that's how the world changes. Outstanding. Scott, where can people find you? People can search for my website, scottkujak.com. That's K-U-J-A-K. I have information on the podcast, information on speaking engagements, information on the book. You can actually buy a signed copy of my book on that website. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at scottkujak10. Please reach out to me through any medium. I would love to hear from you and would love to maybe bring on an inspirational story on the show if you have one. Definitely, we could look at that. Or if you hear one of these episodes and you relate to any one of my guests, please let me know. It means the world for me to hear from my audience. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Scott. And it was a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Richard. Absolutely. And thanks as well to each and every one of you who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 